Well, good morning, Oakwood. And again, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are here this morning. Uh, appreciate uh, you being here this morning. And uh, also for all those that are online with us, we thank you for uh, getting up with us for the nine o'clock service this morning. We're so glad that you've uh, joined us. We are going to continue uh, in this series called Soul Activity. And this will actually be the, uh, the last day for this series. And uh, in this series, you know, week one, if you remember, we were just saying, hey, use this season as a season for growth. If nothing else, uh, if you find you have extra time in your week, then use that time uh, to create some soul activity and, and to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, to be in the Word, to be a people of prayer. Uh, the second week, we talked about how Christians, we are made for times of crisis, that we are actually geared for times of crisis. And the, the comfort that God gives us, God says in Scripture, that we're supposed to offer that comfort that He gives us to other people people. And, and, and uh, as we've been going throughout this series, you know, that's kind of been the theme is like, don't make this a season of excuses for your spiritual walk or your spiritual growth. Make this a season where you even see it on the increase all the more. Uh, there several things I want to begin with this morning as we get into the, the last part of, of the series. And, and that is simply this, that God has a work for us to do. Uh, we read that throughout Scripture. I think of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we would walk in them, that we would actually do what God has called us to do. And this is evidence of a saved life. It's evidence of a changed life in Jesus Christ, is that this would be a season where uh, we are a, a people that follow God's commands, and that we would actually do the work, and that we would actually find ourselves on a mission with God. That he has a mission for us to do. There's a calling on our lives. He's asked us to do that, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But there, there's several things I want to do that today that just kind of lay the foundation before we get into that thought pro process, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 today. So if you want to go ahead and, and start turning there in your Bibles, or as always, follow along in the app on your phone or on your tablet. And all the sermon notes and all the scriptures are there for you, but we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount today. But the first thing I wanted to do to just kind of lay the foundation today is, is to think about it in these terms. You see, first of all, there's the work that God does for us, and that is called salvation. The work that God does for us. Uh, we can't earn that. We can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. God does 100% of the work through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to be a sacrifice for our sins, to win us back, because it's the way to get back to God, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so our response to that is to believe, uh, to confess His name, to accept Him as Savior and Lord, and to be baptized. That's our response to the work that God does for us. The second thing that happens, then, there is the work that God does in us. The work that God does in us. And this is something that's called sanctification, Sanctification is one of those big words. I heard it all my growing up time in the church and never knew what it meant until Bible college. So I want to be clear this morning and make sure that we understand. Sanctification is the process of us being discipled into becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification is it's a process. It's not like just boom, but it's the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. So our response in this is to grow in him, to allow him to change us to allow him to transform us into who he wants us to be in Christ Jesus. So you see there's the work that God does for us. There's the work that God does in us. And then the last part is the work that God does through us. The work that God does through us. This would be service, Christian service, ministry service. And our response to God in this work that he wants to do through us is to serve him. 
to put faith into action, to join him on mission, and to obey his commands. And in doing those things, we are are fulfilling our role as a Christ follower. Because God's heart is so big, he wants everyone in the world to hear the gospel and be able to have the, the opportunity to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. It talks about that in First and Second Peter, that God's heart is that none should perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way that he does that is through his people. It's through our lives. It's through modeling in our lives. It's through an example in our lives, a witness. But it's also through active conversations that we have with people, which is going to bring us into our text today. Now, I want us to understand what is the mission And we talk about this all the time at Oakwood, that we are a Great Commission church. The Great Commission says that you are commissioned as a Christ follower to make disciples. And you say, okay, you make disciples. How? Jesus goes on and tells us. He says, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It's speaking to that work that God does for us, salvation. And then he goes on and says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So you make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And then Jesus goes on and, and gives us this wonderful assurance. He says, and I'm going to be with you on this mission even to the very end of the age. Even till my return, I'm going to be with you on this mission. This is an ordained from God type of mission. And so we are called as Christ followers to do that. Well, I don't know about you, but it seems like many today won't join God on his mission. Many that would, would, would raise their hand and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, will actually not join God on his mission. And the reason is, is because we have a lot of big buts. I know it's Mother's Day and some mothers don't like that word, but this is with one T, okay, not two. Because a lot of us will say, oh, I will follow Jesus, but I will not serve in this particular area. I will follow Jesus, but I'm not committed to reading scriptures and, 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 and studying scriptures and learning and memorization of the Bible. I'm not, you know, I, I will be a Christ follower, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my comfort. I'm not willing to sacrifice that for something greater for the kingdom. Yeah, I, I will follow Jesus and I will be a Christian, but I'm not going to share my faith I don't want people uh, to come to me and look at me and say, well, man, that person's just, you know, like, like really spiritual Christian, you know. And, and so we make all these excuses and the butts get in the way. Now, it's Mother's Day. I'm just wondering how many of you mothers, being honest this morning, how many of you mothers like the butts, right? Like you ask your kid to do something and there's always a butt. You know, you know little Henry, it's like, Henry, you, you know, would you take out the trash, please? I would love to take out the trash, Mom, but... I've got, you know, to go do this in my room, or I've got to go watch TV, or I've got this video game. I'm in the middle of a video game. I would do this, but, and, and, you know, we get all these excuses just like that in the home, and moms know what I'm talking about. There's a few times that you have to repeat yourself, right? There's a few times you've had to, maybe through the years, do reminders is the kind way to say it. Lots of reminders to your children. But again, this becomes the problem is I will, but... Not in this. I will, but I have this excuse. And yet we don't see that in the New Testament. And when we do see that, we see it be corrected in the New Testament. And really throughout the Bible, I was thinking of Jonah this morning. 
uh, uh, Jonah, go, go to Nineveh. I would like to go to Nineveh, but I hate them. <laughs> I don't really want them to come to, come to the saving knowledge of the Lord, so I will uh, follow you and serve you, God, but not go to Nineveh. You know, we always have this excuse. Well, uh, it's amazing because in the scriptures of the New Testament, the heart of Christ comes out that we are to be a people that obey Christ. And that through that, we would be growing in Christ and maturing in Christ and following him on mission. So Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking this morning specifically at verses 13 through 16. And I'll be sharing it from the NIV this morning just because that's how I memorized it in Bible colleges. This is one of those passages I had to memorize. But uh, I will tell you this, as, as much as I've done memory work uh, through the years, uh, this is one of those passages I like to have memorized because it's a challenge, and it's a, a, a special reminder to me. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, and it says that at the beginning of chapter 5 that he went up on the mountainside and he sat down, which was, um, it was an indicator to the culture that he was about to teach because the teacher would sit down, and the followers would all gather around him. So there's all these followers, and he gives them the Beatitudes. You've heard of the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes through all of those, and right at the end of that passage and, and what he's talking about, he gives the followers this. So step into the moment with me. Jesus is, is sitting down, you know, on a rock on the side of a cliff. There's a whole crowd of people there that, that are his followers. It's his disciples and others that are interested in following Jesus. And this is what he says to them. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, its you know, salty flavor, then how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be just thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then Jesus summarizes and ends this teaching with this. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, the obedience to Christ, and praise your Father in heaven. This is actually going to make them want to seek God and maybe even praise God because of the powerful testimony of the changed life in Christ. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. This again is our mission with God. And if you think about both of these things, the salt and the light, what is it really talking about here? What's Jesus trying to get to? Because, you know, so many times I think we, we read the Bible, we get caught up in the imagery of it, but what's it actually saying to us? Why does salt need to be salty? And why are we compared to salt? And why, why does light push back the darkness? And why do we not cover up light? And why can light give light to everyone in the house? What, what is he talking about here? He's talking about influence. He's talking about the influence that we're to have as Christians on the world. And especially on our culture. The influence that we are to have that can actually help people find a relationship with Jesus Christ. The influence that we have that we are just so different than everyone else. Our language is different. The media we consume is different. The way we talk to each other, the way we treat each other, the love of Christ that permeates us, the Christian service that, that draws us into the community to serve others is so different than everyone else that they would stand up and notice a salty person. 
and a person of light. But it's all about influence. When I was actually typing the, the sermon and the message uh, for today, I, I did a typo, and I typed unfluence. And of course, I had the red squiggly line, like, hey, that's not a word, unfluence. But I thought, oh, oh, that, that should be a word. Because I think that's how a lot of Christians live today. We live the life of unfluence. People have no idea that we love Jesus. People have no idea that we're a Christ follower. And we look just like the world. I mean, we do the same things as the world. We talk the same as the world. We live the same as the world with no priority. And we don't share Christ. We don't share a testimony or a witness with anyone. And so we live the life of influence. That would be one of my biggest regrets. If I got into uh, the latter years of my life and I looked back and I thought, I have lived a life of influence. I didn't influence anyone for the kingdom because that's the call of Christ today is that we would. We would live lives of influence. So today I really want to hone down on the first part of this, the first couple of verses in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. We're going to focus on the salt and not the light. And the only reason is, is I could have week two of this next week and talk about the light, but I feel like we kind of know the light. Uh, we, we talk about that a lot at Christmas time, that Jesus was the light, the light was coming into the world, that the light shine, you know, shined through the darkness. That was, um, that was you know, John's Gospel, chapter 1. It says the light was coming into the world. And, and so I think a lot of times as Christians we get that. But the salt thing, you know, because today salt is different to us than it was in Jesus' day. And we're going to learn some more about that this morning. So what does it mean for a Christian to have influence like salt? What does it mean to have influence like salt? I want to share a couple thoughts with you this morning. The first one is this. Christians like salt are of infinite value. Christians like salt are of infinite value. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. He is paying those people and us today a huge compliment. Today, culturally, we don't understand it the same way, but back then it was a big deal when Jesus called them the salt. You are the salt of the earth. Reason why? Salt was the only way that they had to preserve things back then. Salt was the way they preserved meat. You didn't walk into uh, the Jerusalem households and everyone had an, you know, a refrigerator and a freezer in there and, and you know, I can you know, freeze my meat. And No, if you had fish if you had any kind of poultry or anything that you were eating, the only way to preserve it was to either eat it fresh or, or to uh, preserve it with salt. And, and so uh, salt was of great value. They, they made things of, of salt at that time. Uh, salt was a way, have you ever heard of, of somebody being worth their salt? That's actually from this time period. Because Roman soldiers that served Rome well and served Caesar well, actually were, they were paid in salt. That's how valuable it was. Salt was like money to them at the time. And so to be called salt today, we'd say, ah, salt, what is it, a buck? You know, at the grocery store, and you get the iodized or non-iodized, it comes in a container. Big, big deal, you know? And, but it was a big deal. It's a compliment. It's a very high compliment that Jesus would say to his followers is that you are the salt of the earth, and it's because you have infinite value. Uh, what, what's interesting is that word salt comes from the Latin word solarium, uh, where we get our word salary. So it, it's interesting, uh, even the connection in the, in the wording and in the language there. So Christians like salt are of infinite value. Why would you be of infinite value? It's not only because you're a child of God, not because just that you were made in, in God's image. It's not just for those things. It's because you're the torchbearer for the future of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're the one that is going to take the gospel into the next generation. And if every Christian 
that had ever survived the first century and Christianity went on to the next generation or even to the next century is because there were some Christians that were living the salty life. Talk about infinite value. Infinitely valuable to take the gospel to the next generation. Second thing this morning, Christians, like salt, act as a preservative. We act as a preservative. Salt was important for survival in Jesus' time because sometimes it was the only way to preserve something. And in meat, it would preserve the decay. It would help that meat to resist decay, and it's the same way with us today. Do you find our world in decay? If you don't wake up, there's so much going on in our world today. The hearts of men are in decay. I think the earth itself is in decay. You know, uh, it seems like from the time a baby is born, uh, they immediately start this process of aging. You know, it, it just seems like, you know, and salt here, that when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth and the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He's saying that you are a preservative. That you, like salt, are a preservative. You need to go into the world and make a difference in the world, preserving people for the faith. Helping people find their way to where they can, too, resist decay. Resist the decay that sin causes in our heart. When we keep submitting ourselves to sin and how it just, you've probably felt that before. You get caught up in a sin or in a sin pattern and it just, you feel like it begins to decay you from the inside out. And Jesus is saying here, hey, Christians, wake up. Like salt, you are to be a preservative, to resist the decay of the world, to not live like the world, to not live to the same standards of the world, and to, to do like the world does. You're called to be different. Don't lose your saltiness. <laughs> the third thing this morning, Christians like salt also should promote thirst. Should promote thirst. I think we've all experienced that before, right? You have something that's too salty, or maybe even just a little bit salty, and it makes you thirsty. I mean, if we had uh, served concessions here at the church and we all had a tub of popcorn, but we served you nothing with it. I mean, we're not, you know, no, no soft drink, no water, uh, no anything. All of you will be thirsty. Uh, guaranteed, all of you would be thirsty after you have consumed something that has the salt content. It's actually been proven in science. There's a reason that you crave it. It's actually to help dilute the salt that's going into your system. And that's why you crave water so much. There's, there's actually scientific things that happen with your throat and that happen with your, your mouth and your tongue when the salt hits it. And so it's one of those things that, that we should also, like salt, promote thirst, promote a thirst for God, just like salt leaves you craving and wanting something wet and cool and, and, and wanting that cold glass of water, that when people come into contact with the salt of the earth, that we are so, so salty in Jesus Christ that we make others crave what we have, that people look to us and they're like, what? It's so different about them. And, and, and I just want what they have, that peace that surpasses understanding, that guards their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Even in a time period like this, I want that. That's the salt. Having its effect in promoting thirst. You see, it has an effect on people. That's why I think Jesus goes on there and says, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good deeds, your saltiness. And so praise your Father in heaven. I think of all the godly people in my life that have made 
Christ more attractive and have promoted the thirst in me that I want to study harder, I want to know more, I want to memorize more, I want that deeper, closer walk with him. One of the times I've been encouraged with this the most in my time as a pastor has been in the hospital with some of our congregation that are getting up there in years. How encouraging is it to me that when they are facing dire circumstances, when they, when they seem to be that, that, that maybe they may even lose their life, they look into that with confidence. It's like, how, how do you do that? It's because they're salty people. Yeah, they're real salty Jesus people. And that faith and that word and that, that, that livelihood that's been in them for so many years just comes. It's, the, it's a realization of, of the fullness of Christ when you get to that moment in your life. And you say, you know what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. And I'm ready. What an encouragement. And what a witness and a testimony that makes people thirst even more for God. It's highly motivating. So Christians like salt are of infinite value. Christians like salt uh, should act as a, as a preservative. Christians like, like salt should, should promote thirst. The fourth one this morning, Christians like salt can lose their usefulness. What does he say there? If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can't. And he says it's just to be thrown out and trampled by men. Why? Because the usefulness of salt is gone if it doesn't taste like salt, right? I mean, have you ever had that steak that you've like, it's like, it's juicy. It, it is smoked to perfection. It's pleasing to the eye. It, it's just like, you know, that steak is going to taste so good. And so you get the knife out. I mean, it's like the knife goes through it like it's butter. It's so tender. And, and you get it, and you get in that first bite, and you take that bite, and you're all the flavors are... And you're like, oh, what does it always need almost, always? Just a little bit of salt, right? Just a little bit. I mean, just, just enough to enhance that flavor. And if you poured salt on it and it didn't taste salty and it didn't enhance flavor at all, and I mean, you just take the shaker and shake a whole pile of salt on it and it didn't taste salty, what's the point, right? You wouldn't even do it. You wouldn't even pick up the salt, salt shaker. We wouldn't even do anything if it did not have flavor. The salt uses loses its saltiness. Now, some people say, well, you know, God can redeem that. Yes, God can redeem that. God's done that all throughout the ages and all throughout Scripture. But there's also this call of, I think, on us about, are we doing this intentionally or unintentionally? You know, it's kind of like sinning. Is, 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 is the sin a pattern in our life that we do intentionally, or is the sin a time in our life where it's just a foul? It's just a quick, whoops, I got off track, and you're right back on track with God. You ask for forgiveness, you go through the process of sanctification even more. You reflect on that time. You make a confession. You find a Christian brother or sister to hold you accountable so that that type of behavior doesn't happen again. You know, we, we get into John chapter 15, uh, upper room discourse with, with Jesus and the disciples, and he gives them this illustration of the vine. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And if the branches don't produce fruit, what does it say there in John 15? They are cut off and thrown into the brush pile. And burned. Why? Because they're not useful. I mean, if we're supposed to be producing fruit and we don't, then what's the point? I mean, you guys wouldn't keep tomato plants at home that never produce tomatoes, right? I mean, if you had this tomato plant and you took care of it, you use, even used the organic miracle Grow stuff, I know, organics, and got the water, the sun's just right. I mean, 
we're going to have tomatoes, and it never produces tomatoes. What are you going to do? You're going to pull that thing out of the ground and say, I'm done with it. You see, that's what he's talking about here with the salt. And, and that's a warning for us as Christians, that Christians like salt can lose their usefulness. What's the point of being a Christian if we're not influencing others for Christ, if we're not becoming more like Christ in our life? What's the point of salt if it doesn't taste salty? Last thing this morning is that Christians like salt must have contact, contact to have effect. Christians like salt must have contact to have effect. If you have salt and you want it to preserve meat, you have to rub the salt into the meat. It has to have contact. If you want uh, some salty popcorn, you have to actually take the, the salt and put it in, in, on the popcorn. You have to pour it. It has to stick there, get, get in the popcorn kernels. You know, somehow it's got to get in the little, you know, po popped portion in the little crevices. You've got to have contact there. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to throw some salt over here, and it's just going to automatically make everything taste salty. No, it's got to have contact. And so we have to have contact to influence the world. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Throughout this whole thing was salt and the imagery of light that would give light to everyone in the house because we're not going to hide it. And then when he gets to the end of that, again, let that light shine before men. Let your saltiness be evident to men by, to, by the way that you taste so that they will know your God in heaven. And the opportunity is to be salty. Well, my fear is, is when God challenged us to serve him that after we come to Jesus Christ and we we serve him and he intended the church to be a place of activation it's a place of care it's a place where the afflicted come to be comforted and to find Jesus but it's also to be a place where the comfortable are afflicted to go serve Jesus what I, my fear is is that when God looks at his church and and I'm talking about, you know, not just Oakwood, but the church universal, is I think that some churches have created great salt warehouses. There's, there's salt all over the church, but it never, ever has contact out in the community. It never really leaves the doors. I think, how sad is that? If God's intention is that we would be the bearers of truth to the world, is that we have these great salt warehouses, but the salt's not doing its job. There's no contact, there's no flavor. There's no, there's no salt, there's not enough salt in the community to create a thirst for God. There's not enough Christian witness and example out there to make people look at their life and wonder, how do I get more of Him? How do I get what those people have in their life? That kind of faith, that kind of joy, that kind of outlook on life, that perspective that is so attractive cannot just stay in the church. If we're going to be on mission with God, we've got to go out. Scripture said that we'd be the hands and feet of Christ. Paul challenges us to that. Peter challenges us to that. But we're also called from Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount to be salt and light. Let the words of Jesus speak to your heart and mind this morning. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if you lose your saltiness, how can you be made salty again? If you're not going to live salty, you just just be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in that same way, brothers and sisters, in that same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, how salty you are. And so, praise and desire a relationship with God in heaven. You see, that's the challenge. When I used to live in Clinton, Oklahoma, if you've ever been on Clinton, something amazing, as you're coming out of I-40, out of Oklahoma City, it gets really dark on I-40. When you're going through Yukon, there's lights everywhere, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, it is dark out here, and there's nothing. There's a couple little towns. You go by Hydro, and you know you see a little bit of light over here, a little bit of light over there. But what's weird about Clinton is when you're coming into Clinton, you're actually kind of going up a hill, and you don't even really realize it. And then you get to the top of the hill, and then there's Clinton. But when it's in the dark of night and there's no cloud cover, you don't see it at all. I just remember coming home from, from Oklahoma City one night. It, it, was, it was late at night. It was dark. It was between 11 and midnight. Uh, stars in the sky, and just feeling like I'm out in the middle of nowhere and it's really really dark except for the headlights of my car you know few a few cars and traffic coming by but i remember just kind of getting up to this point where you crest over this hill and then boom there was clinton and the city lights were there and it was amazing how when you got there boom it was just the the light just i mean it just looked like this big city right there and clinton's you know town of like eleven thousand. i mean there's it was just amazing how that light can just push back the darkness you have that ability. God's given it to you. He expects it of you. Weird challenge today to walk in it. Let that be our sole activity. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you would use us in a special way and that you would call us to be salt and light to the world. But God, the challenge today is maybe some of us feel like, man, we have lost our saltiness. And so our kingdom usefulness is negated right now because we have chosen sin. We have chose a way that is not pleasing to you, that is not of you. And so, God, you are in the business of redeeming. You're in the business of taking broken things and putting them back together. And so, God, I pray, make us salty again. Lord, if there's some of us that we've accepted you, I pray we would repent of our sins and I pray we would run to you. God, that we would be released of all of the temptation, uh, that that would be behind us, Lord, that we would look to you and that the way we live and the way we love and the way that we communicate with people that even in our own household, people will look at us and say, oh my goodness, it's the light of Jesus, it's the salt of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has been walking that path of loneliness and darkness, God, you're calling them today to give their life to you. So God, do that redemptive work in our minds and our hearts this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.